Welcome to this week's edition of the St. Paul Podcast. I'm Peter Marty, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, located in the heart of Davenport, Iowa. Right here each week, you can hear a message to inspire your walk with God and hear beautiful music to fill your life. Let this podcast be your occasion to contemplate some of the deepest things in life, just as I hope it helps faith come alive for you. Pastor Sarah Olson-Smith, 
I am so grateful to be with you on this podcast today. Today, we're going to hear a pretty challenging story from Jesus. And as a little background for you, the scripture readings for each week's sermon are not just randomly chosen by a preacher here at St. Paul. Along with Christians around the world, we use a set of assigned readings for every weekend. It's called a lectionary. And each week we are given an Old Testament reading, a psalm, a reading usually from one of the letters in the New Testament, and a gospel reading about Jesus. The preacher then will choose one of those readings to wrestle with and talk about in our sermons. Having the readings given to us means that we don't always preach on our favorites, and it hopefully means that we won't just use scripture to reinforce our own narrow thinking when it happens. It also means that we have to contend with some challenging parts of scripture, stories we might not choose if we were in charge. And that's the case this weekend. We were assigned this tough parable from the book of Matthew. And when we read scripture during worship, we end the gospel reading by saying, The gospel of the Lord, to which the congregation responds, Praise to you, O Christ. And as I'll talk about in the sermon to come, some days, like this one, it's hard to find a reason to say, Praise to you. But for now, listen to that story, that parable, a hard one, from the 22nd chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 14. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. And then the king said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets, and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. That is the gospel of the Lord, to which we respond tentatively and questioning, praise to you, O Christ. And now, let's hear what sense can be made of this challenging story. Well, friends, grace to you and peace from Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Today is one of those mornings when I hear the reading of Scripture and I kind of want to add a sort of question mark to that gospel response 
Praise to you, O Christ. Thanks be to God. Really? Today we've been giving a hard reading, a disturbing story that is full of violence. It is offensive. And at first reading, it feels strange to praise God, praise Christ for this story. The story begins, the story Jesus tells, begin with, begins with a wedding party. And so we think it's going to be sort of full of delight. But then the people refuse to come to that party, and they don't just send a polite RSVP. They kill the slaves who came to remind them of their invitation. And in retaliation, the king sends his troops to murder them and burn down their city. And then everyone left, while the city is burning, is compelled to attend that party, during which one of the guests, who didn't get the memo of it being a black tie affair, is kicked out of the wedding party and tortured. The story is terrible. Jesus tells lots of these stories that surprise us. They're unexpected. He tells these parables, these teaching stories, and he tells them to help us understand a bit more about who God is, to teach us about the reign of God, the kingdom of heaven, God's great big dream of love and life for this world. And these parables are always surprising and sort of shake us up. Sometimes, but not always, they're read allegorically, where every part has some part that matches it to teach us. So Jesus starts this story by saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who had a wedding for his son. If we think about this story allegorically, then God would for sure be that king. And for many people, that is the traditional interpretation of this parable. The allegory, those parallels would go then, that God is the king, Jesus is the groom, the wedding feast is this great, triumphant, messianic banquet of eternal life, and those first-rate guests who didn't come, they are the Hebrew people. The rest of the guests who are called in are the Gentiles, the Christians. But this traditional way of reading this parable is problematic for several reasons. First, there is no way that God could be the cruel and monstrous king of this story. Although this story, like so many others, have been used to justify violence in the name of God. But also the God of this, the God of scripture is not the sort of capriciously violent God we read of in this parable. But even more, that traditional interpretation of this parable is deeply anti-Semitic and has, like other parts of scripture, been flipped around and used, misused, to justify prejudice and harm and violence to the Jewish people for centuries. So, if reading this story as an allegory needs to be abandoned, what can this story teach us about Jesus? Perhaps there's a clue in that first line where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. Comparing isn't just about finding those kind of parallel lines of similarities. It's also about contrasts. Perhaps this is a story about how different God's ways are from the ways of the world. Perhaps it teaches us how God is not 
and therefore how we ought not to live. We can look at this parable and see the stark difference between what we know of God's goodness and the world's violence. I'm not sure about you, but I recognize that world that Jesus describes in his story, a world where violence begets more violence and more violence turns to more violence, where cities burn and innocent people are caught in the crossfire. We know this. We see it on the news. Some of us have lived it. We can read this story and see our world in it and see how far we are from God's great big dream of love and life for this world. In fact, as I read this story this week and prayed over it, I kept saying to myself, Jesus, I have read this in the paper this week. What good news is here? For what are we saying praise to you, O Christ? How does this story help me, help us to live faithfully in this world burning right now? Well, maybe one way to think about it is to flip this whole story upside down. One way of reading this story is to see not Jesus, not as the groom, but as the one at the end of the story, the one who didn't have the right clothes, who showed up to the party in flip-flops and torn jeans, was bound and cast out. Perhaps Jesus is the one in the story who refused to wear those robes of privilege and power and violence, who would not dance while the city burned, who resisted participation in a world of such abuse and corruption, who was ultimately cast out and tortured, put on a cross. Maybe Maybe this story teaches us about God's way of redemption that comes through the cross, from self-giving. Maybe that saving hope we have is not in powerful violence, but in powerful love. As the last character, Jesus names the ways that he stands in opposition to the ways of this world that glorify violence and sink into cycles of retaliation that use power to harm Instead, Jesus, or the character in the story, refuses to participate in it, steps outside of it. And this way of reading would be consistent with so much else that we read in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the left one also. If someone takes your coat, give them your cloak also. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And when Jesus was arrested in the Gospel of Matthew, we see Peter trying to defend Jesus from the soldiers, pulling out his sword, cutting off the ear of the Roman soldier. And Jesus tells Peter to let go, put his sword away, and he heals that soldier's ear right before he arrests him. This parable of Jesus is in some ways a way that Jesus continues this teaching for us about how we can live faithfully in a burning and violent and chaotic world. We can follow Jesus and refuse to wear the robes of domination and violence, to try to resist participation in the countless ways that we make enemies of each other, hurt one another, not just with weapons, but with words, to humanize others, and instead to live faithfully in this world torn apart by violence, we can follow Jesus 
in ways of self-giving love. So if this story is, not, is about how we not to live, here are some opposites that we can look to in this story, ways that I think we can live right now Jesus' self-giving love in this world. And because I tend to forget things, all of these things start with the letter L. First of all, in the midst of this world, torn apart by violence locally and around the world, we can lament. We can lament to name the loss and the heartbreak and the terror of the violence of this world. I'm particularly thinking, like so many of us, of the people on the other side of this world caught in this war between Israel and Hamas, the deaths of children and innocent people, the displacement of others, utter devastation, and so many caught in worry and fear. We can lament the realities of violence in so many other places too, not just there, but in other corners of this world. Honest lament keeps us from dehumanizing our enemies and diminishing the experience of others. It takes seriously the cost of war, the ways unchecked power hurts, and it refuses to turn away from the pain of loss, the heartbreak of so many. And referring back to that parable, our lament is the way that we can refuse to dance while the city burns. And we can be people who accept this invitation to the feast, and we can sit down and listen with others. L, listen. Listen to people who are impacted and affected by violence and death and all of its derivatives. And because most of us are not making decisions about geopolitical centuries-old conflicts, we can find ways to work for peace in ourselves, to build coalitions of love closer to home. We can listen to those with whom we disagree, who have different backgrounds or religions or ideologies or zip codes or politics than we have. We can find nuance in the conversation and know that two things can be true at the same time. So we can accept invitations from others and sit down at tables and build bridges and share meals and listen. And we can, like Jesus, resist wearing those robes in this chaotic world and let go of our swords, whether they are literal weapons or more likely the words that hurt and the thoughts that harm. We can let go of the ways that we participate in violence and dehumanization. We can let go of our need to be right, to be in control. We can let go of our apathy and let go of our silence. We can let go. And then there's one more here, L, lean. We can lean into hope. This parable reminds us that the king's way of violence and retribution is not what God longs for, for us and for this world. God instead gives us another vision, this vision we read about in Isaiah, a time and a place where death will be swallowed up, where the shroud that is cast over all nations will be destroyed, where tears will be wiped away, and where God will gather up all of God's people together for a feast, a feast of well-aged wine and meat filled with marrow for all of us, the ones on this side and the ones on the other, our favorites 
and our enemies, our beloveds and the ones who have been cast out, all of us gathered together. This is what God dreams for us and for this world. And this is the dream that we can lean into. And when we can imagine it, we can live it. We can dare to take small steps, step by step toward it. We can do impossible and ridiculous things like loving our enemies and turning the other cheek, just as Jesus said, because we can trust that this is how we bring God's dream into reality here. Even if it's just in one small corner of the planet, even if the terrors of war are enormous and real, our small acts of self-giving love are lamenting and listening, letting go and leaning into hope. These are building blocks for peace, ways that we can participate in Jesus' self-giving love for this world and the ways that Jesus is transforming and healing this world through all of us. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to that king and his violent ways. In it, we can see what that kingdom of heaven is not. But the kingdom of heaven, God's great big dream of love and life for us in this world, can be found in people following Jesus and his self-giving love. And to this, we can say with hope, praise to you, O Christ. Amen.
we turn to God in prayer, saying those words Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. And a blessing for you. May God's way of peace and wholeness be known to you and in every corner of this broken world. And may you be blessed with hope as you lament and listen, let go and lean in. The God who saves us and wipes away our tears. Jesus Christ, whose way of self-giving brings healing to all. And the Spirit who comforts, consoles, and gives courage. Bless you now and forever. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and thanks for your support of the ministries of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Our commitment to projects that lend hope to other people stretches across the country and around the world. We hope that in a good way you feel a part of that reach. Tune in next Thursday for another edition of the St. Paul Podcast.